0: If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in the book of Acts this evening as we continue in our new sermon series that we just began last week in our study of the book of Acts. I do not enjoy waiting on the phone when put on hold. I've never met a person that did enjoy that. I don't enjoy trying to navigate through those systems. It used to be press one for this, press two for this. And now they say, uh, tell us what your problem is. And a computer tries to guess from what you've said where they need to direct your call. And um, it's usually very inaccurate. And they say, I'm sorry, say that again. I'm sorry, say that slower. And you keep trying to navigate through that. And you just bounced around from person to person. And they say, oh, I'm sorry, we can't help you with that. But you really have no choice. You are at their mercy. You are stuck waiting. And it's frustrating, but what else are you going to do? Sometimes you can push ahead with things, but other times you you really can't, and you have to wait. One thing we know for certain is that believers cannot rush ahead of God and expect a good outcome. People, many people perhaps, are frustrated with what seems like God's inaction. God makes us promises, but he hasn't delivered yet. And so we wonder if he will deliver. We pray and wait, but nothing seems to happen. Sometimes we quit waiting waiting, and we just say, I'm going to do something myself. I'm just going to get out there and take care of the problem. Sometimes it seems like that's the better option, but is activity the right answer every time? Many important things cannot be done in our own power. Many important things cannot be done in our own power. And so we come with this idea of waiting on God. Why do we wait on God? What does it look like to wait on God? And what happens when we don't wait? The eager apostles were told to bring the greatest news imaginable to the entire world. And then, right after they were charged to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, they were told to wait. Can you imagine knowing that Christ is risen and being with him for those 40 days and seeing him without a shadow of a doubt publicly executed, publicly resurrected. Hundreds of people saw him, infallible proofs. And they're like, but you need to wait before you start telling everybody. And and I can't imagine what they were thinking. Maybe some of them were relieved that they got a reprieve because they were scared. Maybe some of them were frustrated because they wanted to rush ahead and get the good news out. But we're told exactly why they were instructed to wait in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. And so let's read the word of God together. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word tonight, I do pray for your blessing, that you'd open the scriptures to us, that you give me clarity of thought and speech, that your word may go forth in the power of your spirit. Help us to have a true encounter with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have read through together, studied line upon line, the gospel according to Luke, this account, this gospel record of what it is that Jesus both did and taught. Luke said, and he was very detailed in it. And now he's telling us, well, what happened after that? What happened after that? And we're getting a little bit of a recap on what happened between the resurrection and the ascension. Remember, the Lord Jesus became a man without ceasing to be God, lived a sinless life, and he gave his life on the cross. He died, shed his blood for our sins, and he rose again from the grave. But that's not the end of the story. He was around in person, spending time with the disciples, not exactly as things were before, but in times appearing and then disappearing, revealing himself or withholding his identity. But he was there and he proved that he was there. And then he ascended up into heaven. But during that time, some things happened that were very, very important. The giving of the Great Commission, which we're going to see one part of that, the the mission of what this church and every church like it were going to be involved in. And so in verse number four, he begins with, and being assembled together with them, who Jesus was assembled together with the apostles. This assembled together, it sounds a little sterile, like they just got together and they were just assembled at an assembly. How many of you remember assemblies in school, right? I always got excited because that means we weren't in class right? They got us all together and it was some presentation, some speaker, some spirit week activity. And I'm like, I love assemblies because we're not getting homework. But that's a very, you're just sitting there as a spectator. This is actually a very close and endearing term. This is the idea of fellowship. They were probably sitting, they were eating together, they were spending time together, reminiscent of what they did before. Prior to the to the death and resurrection of christ they were together almost all the time except for the rarities when either jesus would go off by himself or he would send them off in teams of two by themselves and now they've gathered together in this very very um loving way i don't know if you've ever had a chance to visit people uh, on behalf of the church here and uh, how many of you have ever made a visit on behalf of a church any church into the home of somebody right you've had a chance to do that uh about how long did you stay? An hour? Anybody else? 20 minutes? They don't even let you in the house? You know, sometimes that happens. They're like, church? Good night. I mean, I already came and visited you. Wasn't that enough? Now you want to come to my house? Well, I had a chance to travel as part of an initial like, church planting effort into the area of Kurdistan, which was in uh, northern Iraq. And we made house calls all day. We visited houses all day long one day. Do you know how many homes we were in? (laughs) Two. One day was three and one day was two. Why? Because we were there for hours. Four hours in one home. We'd come in and they'd talk and they'd feed us, and then they'd bring us tea, and then they'd feed us some more and bring us tea, and then they wanted to tell us all about their family heritage, and we're all sitting on the floor on these pillows all around a very low table, and, I mean, that's what they do all day long. And we were in these very basic homes, but, of course, they had flat-screen TVs and 300 stations of satellite television, including soccer, which they loved. It was the most bizarre visiting experience I've ever been on. But you sat around, and you spent time, and you talked. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of possessions, but they were very rich in their relationships. And that's the kind of richness we see that Jesus had among the apostles. And it says here that they were, in verse 4, assembled together, and Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Like we mentioned, they they were in Jerusalem. They were gathered together. They were with the Lord Jesus, And perhaps some of them wanted to leave because they were scared. Remember, it wasn't too long ago that Jesus was turned upon by the people as a whole. The Jewish people, for a little while, were excited about Jesus, but they were just as easily manipulated by their leaders to turn against him. Maybe some of them were fearful. Maybe some of them were excited. But for whatever reason, it was not yet time to leave Jerusalem. There was something to be done while they were there. There was something to be done. And so he commanded them to wait. He says, but wait for the promise of the father. Waiting is hard. Isn't waiting hard? Now, I don't know what you have waited for, but if you've waited for something for a long time, it gets harder and harder to believe it's going to happen. Sometimes you think it won't. You've prayed for it. Maybe you've worked for it. You have sought after it the best you can, but waiting on God can be very difficult because his Timetable is not our timetable. His ways are not our ways. And I think I know what the perfect time is for things to happen. Any of you think you know what the perfect time is? But God's timing is truly perfect. Look in Psalm 27, would you? Let's visit the Psalms together. Psalm 27. In verse number 14, Psalm 27 in verse number 14, remember God's volume dial is repetition. Every time he repeats himself, he's turning up the volume. Verse 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Now, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? That means that God has given you some sort of promise. God has told you that he's going to do something or that something is going to happen. In this case, he promised the disciples, the Lord Jesus being the deliverer of this message, he promised the disciples that the Holy Ghost was going to come. The power of God was going to descend upon them and they would have all that they need in order to remember Jesus' words, to be guided into truth and to be witnesses the Spirit of God would work like Jesus did, and He would change people's hearts, convicting them of sin and righteousness and judgment. This is what they're waiting for, and they haven't seen it yet. They haven't experienced it yet. They're waiting for the fullness, and we'll see that as we go through our study in the book of Acts on when it does truly come. But God has made promises to us. And when we are waiting, there's this time between when we say, Okay, God has said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, what things? The necessities of life. All these things will be added unto you. Instead of running around and scrounging and and working and trying to do it all yourself, trust God, put God first, do what pleases God. And when you search after what pleases Him and what He says is right, you will find that all the things that you need for life are going to be added unto you. Now, He's made that promise. But then you've got a bill it's for your phone, it's for your gas it's for your car repairs, it's for the doctor, and you're sitting here looking at this thing. And you're looking at the Bible, and it says that he will give us our daily bread when we pray for it. He'll give us the physical uh, possessions, the provision that we need. He's going to take care of it. And so I'm sitting here looking at this thing, and I'm looking at God's promise, and I'm looking at this bill, and I'm looking at this promise, and I say, okay, this bill is due pretty soon. Maybe you've never been in a situation like that, but many people have. And they know they're trying to do right. They're generous. They're giving as they're supposed to give. They're serving as they're supposed to serve. God's made them a promise. And now they have to wait for God to make the payment. That is a hard time to wait. That is a hard time to wait. When God says he's going to bring you through, he's going to deliver you, and he hasn't done it yet. Have you ever been there? Right? And you know what he's promised, but then you also know the reality of the thing that you're waiting on. This is the position that he asked them to be in. Waiting on God is hard, but it's also essential. What's the the other hand? What do you do if you don't wait? Well, I've got this bill here. I've got this problem. I've got this need. I could choose to not wait on God, and I could do it myself. Now, remember, there are times that God says wait, and there are times that God says go. God doesn't always say, just sit there and wait. I'm not sitting around waiting for money to fall out of the sky. I'm waiting for God to open a door so that the need can be cared for. I remember hearing all sorts of tales when I worked down at Crown College about how students got their bills paid for. Some of them, uh, God blessed their parents, and their parents were able to just write a check for their school bill. But many people, that was not the case. And God answered the prayers of them by perhaps giving them a student employment and helping to pay for their tuition, giving them a job. Someone, I mean, every once in a while, someone would just have a random check sent in to pay for all of their tuition and board, and and they didn't even know who it was from. You see, all of these things happen, but a lot of times God's provision looked like hard work. An open door for a job to pay the bills, and it happened. So don't get the idea that we're saying just sit around, twiddle your thumbs, and God's going to solve all of your problems. But if the door is shut and you're waiting on him to answer, kicking it open can be dangerous. Would you look in the book of Jeremiah with me? In the book of Jeremiah, we see what happens when we take the pathway of the flesh. And that's really the alternative is either we handle problems in the spirit and we wait on God and we do what pleases him. Or we take things into our own hands, making life hard for us and other people. In Jeremiah 17, in verse number five, the word of God says this. Thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. That is a convicting verse right there. He says it's not going to work out well for you at all if you decide that you're going to get all of your problems cared for by the strength of your own arm or the strength of man. There are many things that all of the money and all of the manpower and all of the coordinating and all the logistics and all the work that you could put into it, you could gather up people and it wouldn't do a lick of good unless God was in it. And in just a moment, God can do something so amazing, so powerful, that all of the efforts of man combined couldn't open that door. Couldn't open that door. It says that your heart will depart from the Lord when you trust in flesh, when you trust in man. Verse 6, For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. I have have seen some sick-looking bushes in my day. You ever seen a sick-looking bush? The thing is scraggly. It's barely got any leaves on it. It's brown. No matter what you try and do, it doesn't work well. Have You ever seen land that has been salted? Back in Bible times, when someone would destroy a village and they wanted to make sure that nobody ever came back to that land, they'd find where they grew their crops and they would salt the fields. You know what happens after they salt the fields? Doesn't grow any food anymore. And so it's talking about this terrible place that you could be in, and you're dry, and you have no blessing, and you don't see good. You only see hardship. It's described as the wilderness in parched places. But in verse 7, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river. And shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Now we've got a very different picture. We've got the scraggly looking bush in the salted lands that's dying and barely has anything that it needs. And then you have a tree by the waters, a tree by a a, a river, perhaps, a tree that has everything that it needs and it's not touched by the drought. When things turn hard, when things turn rough, When inflation goes up, when the economy goes down, when health takes a southern turn, and you look at all of these things, you say, what's going to happen? Well, it depends on what you're trusting in. If you're trusting in the arm of the flesh, it's like you're going to be in a dry land, and you won't see good. But if you're trusting in the Lord, his promise is that even when it's the year of drought, you're not going to be harmed by it. Do you believe that God's economy is completely independent from the economy of the nations of the earth? It absolutely is. Do you believe that God's ability to do things is completely above our legal system? Completely above our medicine and our knowledge in that? Oh, God is more than able to overcome these things. But it all depends on where we're going to wait in that moment. Once we take things into our hands, instead of leaving them in God's hands, we're making the choice between being cursed or being blessed. Wait is what Jesus told them. Wait. In verse number 5 of our passage in Acts chapter 1, it talks about baptism. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When you get baptized, you get dunked, you get immersed. That's, That's literally what that word means. When someone gets baptized up here, at least in in churches like ours, and we believe that it's the teaching of the Bible, it's believer's baptism. Someone must first be a believer in Jesus Christ, believing that he died for their sins, was buried, rose from the grave, and that they had personally asked Christ to be their Savior and forgive their sins. That's what it means to be baptized. I was christened, I was baptized as a baby, but I was not a believer yet. And so once I understood what the Bible said... I decided I needed to be baptized after I became a believer. I became a believer at 18 years old, and I was baptized about two years after that. And so it's the same thing he's talking about, how John, John the Baptist, baptized people. And baptism's an interesting thing. Did you know John didn't just come up with baptism? It's not something he just came up with. It was found a couple different places. In one place, when someone who wasn't Jewish became a proselyte. Right, So there were Gentile people that weren't Jewish, but they decided that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the true and living God, and they wanted to be part of God's people in the Old Testament. Oftentimes, there would be some sort of baptism that the proselyte would go through. In the same way that when someone picked a new rabbi as a teacher, especially during that period around Jesus' ministry, when there were lots of teaching rabbis wandering around with students... Then when they decided that they were going to follow one, they were baptized. And so John was baptizing people and they were going into the water and it was a symbol, it was a picture of their repentance, of them wanting to come clean, of them wanting to be one of God's true people. But now he's talking about being baptized with the Holy Ghost. Today, nowadays, there really is very little difference between being saved and being baptized with the Holy Ghost it's really the same thing. It is something that happens at salvation, but there was something that happened during the early church when God made this promise and the Holy Ghost hadn't come yet because Jesus hadn't yet ascended. Once He was gone, the Holy Ghost came in power. They had everything that they needed in the book of uh, in, in the book of Acts. We'll see at Pentecost, the Spirit of God came. They had the power of God. You and I, we don't have to wait for something. We don't have to wait for a second blessing. We don't have to wait to speak in tongues. We don't have to wait for some sort of sign gift. This is something that happens immediately for us now. But they were waiting for the fulfillment of this promise. And the Holy Ghost was going to immerse them. They were going to be completely filled with the Spirit of God. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father or God the Son. And so this is not just uh, like a power source, right? This is not like the force from Star Wars. This is the person of God himself living inside of believers. And they had such an amazing task that they had no hope of doing it unless they were going to have the the presence of God and the power of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is really about the continuing work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit, seen in the lives of the apostles, seen in the lives of those that have been sent out. And so they're going to be baptized, The church had been gathered together, but it was yet to be empowered, and it was going to happen soon. Not many days hence. Verse number six. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Boy, I'm glad they asked this. You know why I'm glad they asked this? Because it showed that they really didn't get it. They showed that they really didn't get what was going on. That makes me feel better, because there are moments when I really don't get it. There's probably more moments when I really don't get it than there are moments when I really do get it. That God has said something and I missed it. God had said something and I don't understand it. What are they talking about? Well, the apostles are here with Jesus and Jesus is telling them about the power of the Holy Spirit and how it's coming. And they say, are you going to restore the kingdom? What's the kingdom? God promised that David and his seed would be on a throne forever from the Old Testament forward, and and the, the children of Israel, because of their rebellion, had not had kingship over their own land in quite some time. There were a few periods in history where they weren't directly ruled over, but when they rebelled against God, when they started to leave God to follow the God's little g of the land, when they started to be like the people around them, the godless people. God sent messenger after messenger, that's what the prophets are, calling them to repentance, and God's people wouldn't listen. And so, over time, they were delivered unto their enemies, and they were ruled over by some foreign empire, whether it was the Assyrians or the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, and finally now the Romans. And so the Jewish people had felt for so long, we are God's chosen people. We know what he did for our our ancestors in the past. We know what he did for them in conquering the wicked nations. Why are we being ruled over by these wicked nations? And they were waiting for the Messiah to come so that the Messiah would deliver them from oppression, governmental oppression. And when Jesus came to deliver them from sins, when Jesus came as a Messiah who was dealing with the most important oppression, which was the oppression of the grave, the power of sin, when he came and he, he overcame, he conquered death, hell, and the grave, people were somewhat disappointed because they wanted the kingdom to come, and Jesus preached the kingdom, but when he offered it to the people, the leaders of the nation rejected him. They rejected him, and so now they're saying, okay, the Spirit's going to come. Are you going to restore the kingdom now? Are you going to go and boot out the Romans? Are you going to go and rule on David's throne from Jerusalem. Is this this the time that that's going to happen? Well, verse number seven. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. He says, It's not for you to know that. Did you know that God doesn't tell us everything? Did you know that he doesn't want us to know everything? Does God know everything? Yes, he does. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. There's not a single thing that has ever happened or will ever happen that he's unaware of. We can't hide from him. He knows exactly where we are. He knows the thoughts and the motives, the intent of our hearts. God knows all of these things, but he doesn't tell us everything. Did you know that the Bible doesn't have everything in it that ever will or did happen, but it has everything in it that God intended for it to have in it. Exactly as he wanted it to have. And he says here that God has chosen to withhold some things, and you don't need to know that. In the next verse, he's going to tell us why they don't need to know that. But they were asking about something that was going to happen much later. The day is coming when Jesus will restore the kingdom. The church age, this time in which God is working through the local churches of the world in order to reach the world with the gospel and see disciples made, that time will eventually come to an end and the church will be caught up. It will be raptured up. There will be a period of tribulation, of judgment, when God judges this wicked world. Oftentimes we say, God, so much wickedness is going on around the world. Why don't you do something about it? He will. He will. And praise God, we won't be here for it because when he pours his judgment out, It's going to be a terrible thing to behold. And then after that judgment is done, after the Antichrist marshals all of his forces against God, God will defeat him. The Lord Jesus returns on that day of the Lord, the battle of Armageddon. It's over, and Jesus starts the kingdom. A thousand years where we will rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is most certainly coming, but that's not what Jesus had for them to do. Why? Well, in verse 8, it starts with, but ye shall receive power. He says, it's not for you to know everything that God has put in his power, the times and the seasons. And, and that happens for you and I, just so you know, in our lives. Sometimes I want to know why. Sometimes I want to know when. Sometimes I want to know how. God is perfectly fine with me not getting all of those information pieces together. And that can be hard for me. You know what I do in those places or, or what I ought to be doing is to trust the character of God. Just trust. you ever had a little child asking you a thousand questions about something? How many of you have had that experience where they just ask you a thousand questions and you're like, oh, be quiet. Just trust me. It's going to work out. You tell the kids that something fun's going to happen. We're going on vacation. We're getting a new thing. And they're like, when, how, what, why? And just over and over. I'm sure that God doesn't get exasperated with us. But eventually you just tell the child, it's going to work out. It'll be fine. Shh. God's character is such that I can trust him even if I don't know how and when and why it's going to work out. When I remember who he is and what he's done, when I remember how powerful he is, how wise he is, how committed he is to me, how he's proved it over and over again, I don't have to know all the details. I don't have to know all the details. Uh, Randy Johnson is not God. Kelly Johnson is not God. They're wonderful people. And they put together this trip that's coming up to India. And they keep trying to keep me Informed and they send me calendars and emails about things that happen and all that, and I'm just trusting it's all going to work out. They know what they're doing. I don't have to try and nitpick, and can, I know that they're detailed people? I can leave it in their hands and be just fine. Now, when I get lost, and you all have to try and find me in Delhi somewhere because I wasn't paying attention, uh, you know, look for me, send someone, right? But we don't have to know all the details. We don't have to know all the details. But he says in verse eight, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Here's what he says. You're asking about the kingdom. The kingdom's going to be a while, but you've got something to do. That's not a, a small word there. That but means completely different direction. You're thinking this, but this is what's about to happen. And he says, you're going to receive power. The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you and you are going to be witnesses. Don't worry about that. I have something else for you. Don't worry about that. I have something else for you. Would you look in Hebrews 12? Hebrews 12 has this phrase that is wonderful. In Hebrews 12, in verse number 1, I want you to see a certain phrase in here. Hebrews 12, in verse number 1, reads, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You see that, the race that is set before us? There's something that God has for us to do. For the apostles, he had something for them to do. That was to be witnesses. They were going to start in Jerusalem, and then Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost. It wasn't their job to worry about the kingdom. The kingdom is going to come, without a doubt. That's not something that's on their, their radar at the moment, or at least it ought not be. They have their own race to run, and you and I have our own races to run, and they don't all look like one another's. God has given us unique things, unique goals, unique abilities to fit those goals. We have a lane. You ever heard someone say, stay in your lane? They're, they're talking about if you were to run a race on a track. Any of you run track on purpose? Right? A couple people, right? Like I said, the last time I ran was because the bees were chasing me. That's the last time I've ran in quite some time. But there's lanes inside of those race tracks. If you go to a high school, you'll see that the vast majority of them have a football field with tracks all around it that you can run on, and there's lines, and you need to stay in your lane or else you're going to run into the other runners. And they stagger how people start in those lanes, and your ending mark might not be the same ending mark as somebody else, and if you're looking at that, you could end up getting in all sorts of trouble. In the same way that God has set a race before each of us, and it's not the same, and that's perfect. And so we ought not be worried about comparing with one another. We have our own races to run. It says that ye shall be witnesses unto me. When? After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. God is going to enable you to be a witness. God is going to enable you to be a witness. That is comforting because I'm not a very good witness on my own. I need the power of God. I need the power of God. The devil has blinded people. the truth of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He's used all sorts of different things. If he uses gross and indecent sin, he'll do that. If he uses respectable, religious-looking sin, he'll do that. He doesn't care if you're trapped in false religion or if you're a cokehead. As long as he can keep your eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's happy that you're indulging in something else. And the power of God is necessary in order to turn people... And to move them from the kingdom of darkness into the the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his own dear son. And so there's a great power that needs to be brought to bear. And it's going to happen. And it's a power for what? To witness. To tell people what they've experienced about Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been in court, you know that witnesses have a certain job, right? Witnesses have a certain job when they're in court. And if if they say too much, oftentimes whoever's examining them will... Stop the question and move them on to something else. And you don't get to just do and say whatever you want. You don't get to argue on behalf of who you think ought to win. You can only say what you've seen or heard and answer the questions that have been put before you. Whose job is it to argue in the courtroom? It's the attorneys, right? It's the lawyers. It's their job to argue. It's the spirit of God who is our attorney, who argues in the heart of men and women and boys and girls, to tell them about the truth of the gospel, of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We simply tell people what we've seen, what we've experienced, how Christ has changed our lives and how they can, he can change their lives as well. But you're going to be witnesses unto me. And he says, I want you to do it in Jerusalem. Well, that's convenient. Guess where they are? Well, Jerusalem. Jerusalem right? Jerusalem is where they are. It's their local area. It's their city. If you and I were to think about our Jerusalem, it would be North Olmstead. It would be Westlake. It would be Rocky River. It would be North Ridgeville. It would be this area, maybe this greater Cleveland area or the west side of the greater Cleveland area. And that would be our area. And it's where we go to work. And it's where our, our local families live. It's where perhaps our kids go to school, where we shop. This is our Jerusalem. And they were very familiar with Jerusalem because they've been spending time there over these days. But it says that they're not to stop in Jerusalem. It said both Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost. You say both, both, and then they give us four things? Both is supposed to be about two things, right? It is. It's here and there. It's here and there. So not only are we to be involved in witnessing here where we are, we're to enable, we're to help, we're to make sure that the witness for Christ happens there too. Judea would be like Ohio. It would be the larger, broader area. Samaria would be one of those areas where there's people there that you don't really like and you don't really get along with, and traditionally you've wanted nothing to do with them, but they need to hear the gospel too see the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along well at all. They oftentimes wouldn't even talk to each other. They wouldn't do business with each other. If we had a Samaria, it would be Michigan. It would be Michigan. Those people need the gospel. Those people need the gospel. I'm sorry for cussing in church. Let's edit that out. Sorry. I said the M word, but it would be the, it would be the forgotten people, you know, more realistically, more realistically, do you know who it would be? in most cases, for most people around here, it would be the Arabic-speaking families in this area. It would be the Muslim-speaking, it would be the the Muslim families, the Arabic-speaking families, or those of their descent. Why? Because traditionally speaking, they've had hard feelings with Americans. They've had hard feelings with Bible-believing people, historically. And God has put them right here in our community. God has brought them here for a reason. God is so great that he took them out of lands where perhaps you and I could never go as missionaries and he dropped them in our backyards and they're everywhere and they need the gospel and God wants them. And we might tell ourselves, oh, those people are so hard. We could never win them to the Lord. Listen, anytime someone believes it's a miracle and God is a miracle working God, I believe there's a great harvest to be seen yet in that population. I know that some people look around and they see the changing of stores and things like that and the changing of the demographic of the community, and they lament it. I'm excited because that means that God is going to use us as a church to reach them. God is going to use us as the people of God in order to reach them. And then unto the uttermost. Where's the uttermost? Far away. Far away. Yeah, Chuk Micronesia, right? Chief Micronesia, that's, that's pretty far away. You know what's interesting, though? As God's work moves forward, the uttermost becomes somebody's Jerusalem. For a while, we were sending missionaries to the Philippines in order to try and win people there to Christ. And that was the uttermost for a time. And then do you know what happened? People got saved, churches got planted, disciples were made, Bible colleges were set up, people were trained, and now the Philippines is a Jerusalem. And they're reaching their own people, but they're not stopping there. They're also reaching their own Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost. And now you have Filipino missionaries in all sorts of places. At one point in time, South Korea was the uttermost. And now they're sending missionaries all over the place. They're, that pattern repeats itself. Did you know at one point in time, Ohio was the uttermost? Ohio was the uttermost. Now it's become a Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And that's the pattern that, that God has, and so we are involved in those things at home and abroad. God wants all people to have a witness. He wants all people to know about Christ. God greatly don't let anyone tell you that God is only interested in saving some people, or that Christ only died for, to save some people. That is against the scriptures. Look in Second Peter, would you? And if you've never heard this, I'm glad. Unfortunately, there's talk about this becomes more and more popular as time goes on in 2 Peter chapter 3 in verse number 9 These are important verses I want you all to know where these are in your Bible 2 Peter chapter 3 in verse number 9 The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering to usward not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance says, why hasn't the Lord returned yet? Why hasn't things happened yet? Why are we still waiting? Because he knows that when he returns, there's a door that's shutting. And there will be some left outside. And he's not willing that any should perish. His great desire is that all should come to repentance. Look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 3. For this is good and acceptable and the sight of God, our savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Who does God want saved? Everybody. People that look like us and people that don't look like us, people that speak like us and people who don't speak like us, people who eat the foods that we eat and people who eat very different things, different cultures. He wants them all to know him. And so he gave the disciples this great task of being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost. So what what do we take away from this tonight? What are we here to apply? The first thing I'd encourage you to do is to wait on the Lord. To wait on the Lord. The apostles needed to wait on God for God to empower them. Their assigned task was too great to attempt without God's power. All of us are called to live transformed lives. We're all called to be with Christ. We're all called to be like Christ. We're all called to tell people about Christ. And that is a life that you and I cannot live in our own power. No amount of do better or follow this plan or read this book or join this group is going to change your life. It's just not going to happen. The only way that we will experience true transformation to become like Christ is when we wait on God to do the work. When we trust him and God works, that's the, that's the two sides of this. We trust God works. We believe God works. When he opens the door, we go through it. When the door is closed, we wait. We trust in God works. I know you hear all the time, five things out of this pulpit and probably every pulpit you've ever heard in a Bible preaching church, read your Bible, pray, attend church, give, be a witness. I know you've heard all of those things time and time again, and you do them, and you don't feel like there's any major difference in your life. But if you were to look back over time, you would see a great change in your life, a great change in the way you think. It's hard because we don't don't feel like we've won some great battle by doing those small things. But life is not filled with great battles. It's filled with small things. That's what life's made of. And so when we do those things and we do what God says, We find that he changes us. He does work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He does finish the work in us that he's begun. So without a doubt, we can trust God. We can wait with earnest expectation. Don't rush ahead and kick in doors. Allow God to work. Believe his promises. Wait on the Lord. Second of all, run your race. Run your race. The apostles wanted to help restore the kingdom. They were really excited about that. This isn't the first time they asked, about the kingdom. This isn't the first time that other people asked Jesus about the kingdom. They really wanted to see the kingdom done, but you know what they got instead? They got the church instead of the kingdom. They got to be witnesses instead of to be kingdom men. That wasn't their task. They were to evangelize. And we are called in the same way to run our race. Like we said, we're called to be with Jesus. We're called to be like him. We're called to tell other people about him. Some of us are called into the different family roles. Maybe God has made you a father or a husband, a wife or a mother or a brother or a son or a daughter or a sister. Maybe he's called you to be an employee somewhere. Maybe he's called you to be a grandparent or a grandchild. Maybe he's called you to be involved in your community. Whatever race that he's set before us, that's what we need to run and keep our eyes on. Some people, God has chosen things for them that he hasn't chosen for us. And that is fine. You say, why why am I not rich like somebody? Because God hasn't chosen that race for you. You say, why don't I have the health that somebody has? I don't know, but God hasn't chosen that race for you. God does choose some people to go through a, a path of suffering that other people don't go through. And the power that their testimony has when they bear that suffering in the power of Jesus Christ perhaps far exceeds what a healthy, normal life might have given them. I know a young man who reached more people in his death than he ever did in his life. There was a young man at Crown who had a a good testimony and he was a good young man and he gave his, his summer to serve the Lord in between his school years and he died. He died in a car accident when he was out driving between churches, helping smaller churches out west. And his life sparked so many other people to get serious about serving God that it was an an impact that he probably would not have had in his life had he lived, even to an old age. And so we don't know why God gives us the paths that he gives us, but we know that he does, and so we need to not compare with other people. We need to not fail to run our race because we were hoping for a different one. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with how swimming works competitively, but you don't get to choose what races you do, at least not at our ages, our kids' ages. They're told when they show up, you're going to be doing this race. It's going to be this stroke and it's going to be this long. And they write it on their arms in Sharpie markers so that they remember when their number's called. Okay, number 62, you're going and you're doing, uh, you're doing backstroke and you're doing a 50. Right? They don't, they don't get any choice. It's, it's written on their arm in permanent marker, right? That's what they're doing. And you know what? We don't get a choice. The Lord gets a choice. And he's far better at choosing than you and I would be. And he sees a picture that you and I don't see. So when he asks us to go through something that we'd rather not go through, let's run our race and say, Lord, you put this in my path. I'm going to trust you with it. You put this need here, this health problem here, this relationship, the lack of this relationship. This is what you've given me. And we, we we don't need to compare. Comparison will rob you of your joy. It really will. Because there's just some things that other people have that I haven't been given. I don't have the abilities that other people have, but I'm also not responsible for those abilities like they are. I may not have the wealth that other people have, but I'm also not responsible to God for that wealth because he hasn't given it to me. God gives to people according to their different ability, and he makes them to have that ability. God has made you just for your race, so run your race. Someone once told me that if, if somebody, if you're a peach, if you're a peach and somebody wants apples, you can waste your whole life trying to be an apple, but what you ought to do is be the best peach that you can, because that's what God made you to be. Trying to live to please everybody else will make you miserable. Lastly, be a witness for Christ. The apostles were called to be witnesses, and so were we. They were commissioned to tell people what they'd seen in the Lord Jesus Christ, and how could they not? In fact, they got threatened with beatings. They got put in jail and they were told, don't you ever tell anybody about Jesus again. Don't you preach in his name anymore. And they're like, we cannot help. We cannot help but to speak the things which we've seen and heard. We're just not going to be quiet about it. We've seen it. It's changed us. Things are never going back the way they were before. And if you've had a life-changing encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. You don't have to be a preacher you don't have to know all the questions. You don't have to know all the answers to the questions that you might be asked. You can say, I don't know about all that, but here's what I do know. God became a man without ceasing to be God, lived a sinless life, died for me, rose from the grave to prove that he'd pay for my sins. And when I asked him to forgive me, he did and he changed my life. You, you don't have to. You say, well, what about progressive dispensationalism? Don't worry about that. No one cares. No one cares. What's important is seeing the change in people's lives that can only be brought to them when they have an encounter with Jesus Christ. So be a witness for him. Tell other people what's happened with you, whether that's at home, at school, at work, or both. In fact, there's a great opportunity coming up for you to do just that. In just a few weeks, we have a fair in our town here. At North Olmstead Park, there's a homecoming fair, and there's rides, and there's every kind of bad, delicious food you could imagine. There's heartburn waiting for all of you there. And there's the people of our city. And they walk up and down and up and down between the food and the rides and the food and the rides and the games. And they'll go right past a booth. And one of our, those booths there will say Columbia Road Baptist Church on it. And we'll be there giving out gospel literature. We'll be there giving out bottles of water, freeze pops, prizes for kids. And you can have a part in being a witness by signing up to be there at that booth. You say, I I don't know, that sounds a little bit scary. Trust me, if you've got free bottles of water, freeze pops and prizes, people will flock to you. And after they've taken your bottle of water and your freeze pop and you say, hey, could I give you this? It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. They feel the Muslim people feel obligated to take it because we've given them those things. You say, is that some sort of trick? Not intentionally, but if it works, it works. We're giving a cup of water in the name of Jesus. So you come. You sign up. You be a part of that. You can do that Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. It runs the 25th through the 28th. I got those dates right? The 25th through the 28th. And there's a sign-up sheet on the involvement board. And you say, well, I got kids. Bring them. It's very hard for people to say no to a kid that tries to give them a gospel tract. You say, I don't know if I want to do all of that and up and down and standing for all that time. We've got chairs. We've got chairs. You come. You can, be, you can have the most important job, which is, is cutting off the top of the freeze pops for people because it needs to be done. You sign up. You serve the Lord. Help be a witness. Give out gospel tracts. Have conversations with people. Invite them to be in God's house so that they might hear the gospel. Some questions as we finish up tonight. The first question is, why is it so hard to wait on the Lord? Why is it so hard to wait on the Lord? You guys have been waiting on the Lord for a minute. Why, is it, why has it been so hard? Want my now. Yeah, we want our answer now. Right? We want our answer now. Who, who, why is it so hard, Sean? Because we're, really we're really impatient. Pastor we, Steve? I uh, tend to equate activity with success. Mm. I get, get busy doing something and yeah. miss waiting on the Lord. Nowadays, especially, activity and success, people say that, well, if you're not after it, you're not going to get it done. Well, I've been after it a lot of times and nothing got done. Activity is no substitute for spirituality is what one of my spiritual fathers said. And that is so true. Why else is it hard to wait? Yeah, Joe? Yeah, the enemy attacks you while you're waiting. God's not going to come through. He's not going to really meet your need. He'll do it for someone else, but he won't do it for you. He tells you all sorts of lies like that. The devil tells you all, absolutely, that's good. What else? Why is it hard to wait on the Lord? Shannon? Yeah. In the process of change? Absolutely. Chris? We live in a world of instant access to everything. You've got microwaves, you've got drive-through fast food. I mean, we want it, we get it now. We want it, we get it now. And we don't want to wait for an answer. Do we want what we want? Yes. We live in a society of instant gratification, right? Watch whatever you want right now, whenever you want it. I mean, you remember the, the last time that you were watching a video and it started buffering and the little circle came up and you're like, "Ah!" You know, you used to have to like go to a store and rent it or have it shipped to you in the, the mail. Uh, I think we, we've, <laughs> we've lost some ground there. Ben, did you have your hand up? Why is it so hard to wait on the Lord? Yep. Sometimes we don't learn the lessons. So we just keep having to wait. Won't move on until him. Those are all very good points. Very good points. What race has God given you to run? What race has God given you to run? (laughs) He specifically called you guys to be quite mobile. To move a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of different areas. He's called me to be a pastor, but before that, he's called me to be a Christian, to be a faithful follower of Jesus. He's given me the race of a husband and a father. What, what race has he given you? Yes. He's taught me to be more humble. Okay. One of, of humility. Yeah, no one likes that. No. But what a, great, what a great fruit at the other end of it. What great produce you get out of that. What else? What race has God given you to run? You're all scared. Yeah, Ben? Amen. He's put that in there, he's given that to you. Yep, Chris? Yeah. Not not something you're particularly looking for. <laughs> what race has he given you to run? Yeah, Joe? Yes, it, unfolding is a great term. It's a great term. It's almost like there was a plan behind all of it. Wow, what do you know? What do you know? What are some ways that you can be a witness? What are some ways that you can be a witness, that you could be a witness? Passing out, tracts. Passing out gospel tracts. Yeah? What's a way that we can be witnesses? Yeah, Dave? Door-to-door evangelism. What else? Sean? Talk with our friends and family about the Lord. How else can we be a witness? Yes? Bringing our friends to church? church? Absolutely. Yeah, Ron? Being patient in tribulation. Yes. Living a life that shows the gospel. As well as sharing the gospel with words. when people see you go through things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Joe? Yeah, sounds like a, a bit of a divine appointment there that God knew that the, her, her kids had probably been praying for her forever. That's very exciting. Very exciting. What else? How can we be a witness? You know something that... Um, where is she? Sandy does? Where is Miss Sandy? There she is. Uh, sorry, both Sandys are sitting next to each other. Are you trying to make me confused? <laughs> I notice whenever we get, whenever we get uh, bills here at the church... And we have to mail back in a bill. You better believe that Sandy puts a gospel track inside of that envelope and mails it so that some worker somewhere that has to open it has no choice but to look at that gospel track and know that it's there. I know some people that just take every return envelope that they get. You know how people prepay for, and they just, whenever they get them for anything, even if they don't put back in the form that came with them, they just put a gospel track in it and send it back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm still not over it, but I'm getting here. I, mean, I don't think you ever get over it. You get through it. And I actually was able to help her and told her to pray. The Lord will give you strength. And I told her to get her Bible passages that the gentleman told me. And I said, Read That's right. You can pass on. You can help serve people out of your own experience, out of your own hurt. Yeah, God redeems that. Absolutely. One more. How, how can you be a witness? That's good, Dina. Thank you. Shannon? good amen but ye shall receive power after that the holy ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in jerusalem and in all judea and in samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth let's pray together father i pray that in this hour as we've heard these things that they would not just stay things we've heard but that we would be doers of the word not hearers only i pray that you'd help us to wait on you to believe that you're going to come through. Help us to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus and to run our race. And may you bless us as we try and witness for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to have a time of prayer.